So what have we been talking about this semester? Parables. Okay. So I'm going to do something kind of funny tonight. I'm going to explain parables and talk about why Jesus talked about in the, in the form of parables, which maybe we should have done that at the beginning. Um, but we were just kind of going as we went and figuring it out. And I, I want to like shed some light on that now. And I think it'll help us understand the parable that we're actually looking at tonight. Okay. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And to get us started, I'm going to have my good friend Christian Farr come and read. <laughs> Christian, I would suggest going around and coming up and then down here. You know, there's a reason they're cheering. This is Christian's last Chi Alpha as a single man. Bring us the word. I said, bring us the word. All right, guys, it's a long passage, so bear with me, all right? Matthew 13, 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root." Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Continue down to Matthew thirteen eighteen through 23. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown. Here you go. Thank you. Thank you, Christian. Okay. You heard the word. But did you hear it? Okay, that's the message tonight. Let me pray. Lord, I recognize the challenge here. It's very possible for us as human beings who have gone away from you and rejected you and live in rebellion to hear you and yet not hear you. To see and not see. Would you help us tonight? By your grace, Holy Spirit, would you help us to see? Would you help us to hear what you're saying to us? I don't lean on my own understanding. I lean on you, Jesus. Would you help us? 
each of us, would you draw us to yourself and speak to our minds, stir our emotions, but would this message land in our hearts and bring about life transformation. And may we be people in Chi Alpha that are marked by loving obedience to you, God. Yes, Lord. Can you say yes, Lord? Okay. Yes, Lord. Amen. Okay. So um, I want to begin by giving us a definition of communication. Um, I think all of us have lived enough life to have that experience where you talk and people hear you, but they did not hear you. In fact, they misunderstood you. And you reconsider the words you said and you repackage it. And they repeat back to you what they said in their words, and you're like, no, 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 no. Or they even get excited, like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I agree. And you're like, no, that's the opposite. Like, no. True communication is rare. When somebody says something to you or you say something to somebody else, and they hear it in their minds and it resonates with their hearts, that's a gift. If you actually have that with somebody, that's special, (laughs) right? Some of us don't have that with anybody. It's really special if you have that kind of communication. Good communication is rare. It's because of this, we hear, but we don't hear. And so that's my prayer tonight. Lord, help us to get what you're saying and get it deep in our hearts, okay? Because we hear and don't hear, this is why we have to have parables, Okay, This is why Jesus spoke in parables. He started out initially not speaking in parables, and he could see the condition of our hearts and how people were beginning to respond to him, and he's like, okay, okay. And he started to speak in parables. Okay, Uh, So let's look at this. Here's the question. Why parables? I mean, I just kind of explained it, but let's take it further. Anybody play Huckle Buckle Beanstalk as a kid? It sounds like no. I got some strange looks when I said that. Okay. My kids have played Huckle Buckle Beanstalk. It might be just because I played that. Nobody's played Huckle Buckle Beanstalk? Okay. Then, then let me explain this wonderful game to you that you missed out in your childhood, Okay. And the truth is, you've probably played it, just called it something different, okay? So it begins with, I don't have a pencil with me, it begins with something like, this is how we played it in our family, you take a pencil, and you hide it, like somewhere like on the mantle, and it's just barely hanging off the edge of the mantle over the fireplace, so that it can barely be seen. It can be seen, but it's hidden, Okay? And so what happens when you first start playing this with your kids and they're like three or four years old? It's fun explaining this to you guys since you never enjoyed this amazing game. You have to make it so like, I mean, you pretty much just lay it out on the coffee table. You hardly hardly hide it from them. But then it's actually not much of a fun game because there's really no mystery, no suspense, okay? And so as they begin to get it and they start finding it easier, then you you start hiding the pencil and, and greater degrees of difficulty to find it. Okay? You follow that? Okay. And then the game goes, what happens is if somebody, the way you kind of lead people on and make the suspense is like, you hide it good enough that they can't easily find it. So they're they're walking around the room and you're like, you're getting hotter. 
you're growing warmer, warmer. Oh no, wrong way, you're getting cold again. Okay, and then and the kids get all worked up and excited, okay? And then they're, then they're like, okay, like you're so hot, you're about to totally, you're on fire. Which means the pencil is like right in front of your face, but you just don't see it, okay? Y'all get it now? Just, you missed out, huckle buckle beanstalk. Okay, so, <laughs> you learn something new every day. The thing is, if it's, if it's so plainly evident, it, it, this analogy breaks down, obviously, but the game kind of doesn't work. You have, the kids have to get good enough to where they're, they're willing to look and find something, okay? Okay, so we're, we're saying this, though. Why parables? Why did Jesus hide things from people? Why did he speak to them in parables? Well, funny thing, if you keep reading in Scripture, he often explains what he's saying, okay? Matthew 13, verses 13. This was sandwiched, sandwiched between what Christian read us. It says, though seeing... Oh, he first says in verse 13 of Matthew 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Oh, okay. I just said, why parables? And Jesus says in verse 13, as straight up as you can say it, this is why I speak to them in parables. And when we can be a part of that them now, because he's speaking to us in parables. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. The message they hear but they don't hear. I'll bring it home. We hear, but we don't hear. We see, but we do not see. So Jesus speaks to us in parables. G. Campbell Morgan, one of my favorite old British preachers, has a way of saying things. Can I lean on him for a moment here? This is why we have parables. He said this, To those not yielded and obedient, the parabolic method was used and is used. It was the necessary method that they might still have the opportunity to understand truth despite their hardness of heart. He knew if he said something things to them directly, they would just reject it. Several weeks ago now, um, I told us about Nathan and the prophet coming to David. Do you remember that? Okay, so David, long story short, right? David commits adultery and kills a man. Um, kills the, the husband of the wife that he commits adultery with, right? Did I say that right? You know what I'm trying to say. And so David moves on past that, covers that up. We, we learned how to cover things up, right? He moves on in life. He's committed adultery, and he's killed a man, and he's like moving on. And Nathan, a prophet, comes to him, and he does not come to him and say, dude, what have you done? You're a scumbag. You, I mean, he could have used different words, you know. <laughs> he could have said, you sorry, no good for nothing. You're a jerk. You're, you're beyond. And you need to get right with God. He could have said that. How do you think David would have responded? Probably like, like maybe we would. And so Nathan instead comes and he tells this story, right? And he tells this story about this, if you remember, this rich man that's got a huge flock of sheep. 
and, he, and the traveler comes to town, and he takes him in to host him. Instead of taking one of his own sheep, he goes to a poor man who has one lamb, who he's named, and he holds in, in his arms and kisses. He's like the family pet. And he takes that poor man's lamb and slaughters it. Right? And David, his face, he hears this story from Nathan, and his face turns red in rage, and he says, kill that. I mean, he's like, let him have it. And Nathan goes, you know, you are that man. That's a parable. That's how this works. Things need to be wrapped up for us so we can hear them. But if they're often brought to us directly, our hard hearts go, no. Okay? Repetition is the price of knowledge. We had to hear that twice, right? Twice in one semester. Okay. G. Campbell Morgan continues, why parables? He says, the parables were a lamp. There is nothing hidden except that it may be manifested. He gave them the parabolic pictures that they might actually inquire, that they might seek, that they might ask. The purpose of the story was to lure them and us to think Jesus is not hiding but veiling. The parables were a lamp. Is that making sense? You guys getting it? He wants us to actually see and get what he's after. The kingdom of God, if you haven't noticed, is altogether different from what we know. Okay? The kingdom of God is altogether different from the way we do things in the world, the way we think in the world. Simple example. The kingdom of God, to find yourself, you lose yourself. That's straightforward, but that's how it works. To find yourself, you lose yourself. The way up, how do you climb the ladder? You humble yourself. You don't even try and climb the ladder. But then God exalts those that humble themselves. It's kind of like, it's kind of backwards. Or maybe you could say the world is backwards and the kingdom of God is right side up. Right? But this is the kingdom where you lose yourself to find yourself. The way up is down and you become rich by giving your money away. Anybody feeling rich tonight? <laughs> yeah. It's also like the equivalent of, you know, in business you talk about success in the kingdom of God, you talk about fruit. You know what the path to fruitfulness is in the kingdom of God? Suffering and pain that, that creates dependence. And dependence creates fruit. That's success in the kingdom of God. This is, a, this is different than the world we live in, right? Through suffering and pain, you learn dependence and become fruitful. The equivalent of success in the kingdom of God. So what I want to do to give you, what I want to give you guys tonight is some people, some examples of people that have done this, actually, actually some college students that have done this, but from a few years back. Can I do that? Okay, these are some of my heroes, and, and some other people in here consider these guys heroes. We're going to look at a guy named William Borden, okay? Lived back, he got started in 1887, and I'm not going to tell you when he finished because that's premature, kind of cuts the story short, okay? But he got started in 1887. He went to Yale University, <laughs> You know, this is Sam Houston, Harvard of the South, and Yale's up, you know, okay, all right? <laughs> okay, here's the account of him. I'm just going to read it to you, okay? William Borden, born in 1887. You'll find out when he died in a moment. He was heir to the Borden family fortune. That means he had a lot of money coming his way, okay? And he actually lived with a lot of money, not just coming his way, but he was surrounded by it. Upon graduating from high school, he received a trip around the world from his parents. Uh, he was rich, obviously. 
Anybody else, anybody here receive a trip around the world upon graduating from high school? I know some of us have more money than others, but I don't think that's your average Sam Houston State student getting a trip around the world for your graduation gift. <laughs> Got you guys sidetracked. <laughs> Not hard to do. Okay, here's the account of his trip. You ready? As he traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. Missions Week is next week. Mark Renfro is with us last week. This is fitting. Mid-trip, feeling this, he writes home about his desire to be a missionary to his family and friends. One friend expressed disbelief and said, throw him, how, could Bill, how could Bill, William, how could Bill throw himself away as a missionary? How could Bill throw himself away as a missionary? William Borden returned and enrolled at Yale University where he gathered 150 other freshmen for prayer and Bible study. Started with a small group. At the end of the year, he had other people leading the same thing, and he had 150 people involved in small groups his freshman year. By the time he graduated, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were involved in small groups for regular Bible study and prayer. So that's kind of like the equivalent of Sam Houston. Like, we got... 21,679 and like enrolled for the fall semester down like 1% from last year at this time. So let's say roughly just 20,000 at Sam. That'd be like having 15,000 people in small groups. We're not there yet, okay? The Lord was working through him. Something was happening. After graduating, he turned down multiple high-paying jobs, no surprise, and enrolled for graduate school at Princeton to prepare for missions work among Chinese Muslims. At 25, the story's going to end abruptly. At 25, he sailed for China, stopping, stopping off at Egypt to learn Arabic. He had to be pretty smart just to stop off <laughs> in Egypt to learn Arabic, right? While there... He contracted spinal meningitis and died within a month. So you then have people thinking, especially some of those friends and family, what a wasted life. What a wasted life. Not in God's perspective. And not in William Borden's perspective. In his Bible, they found this written. The beginning of his walk, he had written in, in, in his Bible, and people knew this, no reserves. Midway through his walk, his time on earth, his time with, walking with God on earth, he had written no retreats. So we have no reserves, no retreats. And shortly before he died, he added something. And he wrote, no regrets. No regrets. He never even got to his destination, it seems, right? No. He's inspired countless. We're talking about him tonight. His work was done. He had a fruitful life. We could go on. C.T. Studd, I want to talk to you about C.T. Studd. And man, was he a stud. Another hero of mine. He didn't go to Yale. He went to Cambridge. Okay, another high-caliber school across the pond. Charles T. Studd, Studd was a... 
walking this earth from 1860 to 1931. He was known as the leader of the Cambridge Seven, and he received a missions call at the age of 24. But much like William Borden, what he did is that he disowned his future as a nationally renowned cricket player and an heir of great wealth for the mission field. Here's, here's a, let me break this down, though. Like You can hear that, and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Some of you are like, what, are you, what even is cricket? I don't even know what you're talking about. It's like huckle-buckle beanstalk, right? <laughs> Has everybody heard of cricket at least? Okay, okay. Does anybody know how to play cricket? Man, that'll make, it'll make your head spin. Okay. Is that Jacob back there? Yeah. It'll make your head spin, man. It can last like for days. People say it's kind of like baseball. Kind of like baseball. Okay. Okay, so he played on his cricket team in college at Cambridge. I don't know how this is even scheduled because you'd never see Sam Houston play in a, a, a national team, but this is different times. Okay. So his, his collegiate cricket team at Cambridge University plays the Australian national team. Okay, you have to understand those are rivals, okay? His, he leads his collegiate team to a victory over the Australian national team. Instant stardom. He becomes like LeBron James, okay? In his time, in his era, he instantly became a household name, okay? And he was loved by children all across the UK, and yes, he was just wildly popular. Regarding his wealth, his father had earned a massive fortune in India that he was to inherit. And this is what he does. He dedicates his life to missions in China and India. As the years went by, his love of Christ did not weaken, but rather grew stronger. Seeing an advertisement that read, Cannibals want missionaries. I'm not sure how to take that. (laughs) Cannibals want missionaries. C.T. Studd knew how to take it. He went to Central Congo, to the Central Congo at age 50 and responded to the call. He dedicated the remaining 21 years of his life for people in Africa. That's when everybody else is thinking about retirement. And he's like going to the cannibals that want him. Hmm. When asked if he had made too great a sacrifice, and let me tell you, I'm not going into detail, he suffered greatly. He did not spend the last 12 years of his life with his wife, although they were both still alive. When asked if he had made too great a sacrifice, he answered, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Right? Yeah, got it. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Okay, so you get it. These guys got it, right? They... They didn't just hear, they heard the message, and it took deep root and bore fruit. So I bring it home to us, have we heard the message? Have we heard the gospel and heard it? And is it leading to life transformation, loving obedience? What I want to do is lean on Tim Keller here. He's an incredible, incredible, amazing Presbyterian preacher that helps me out a lot. And he actually gives three tests for whether or not we're hearing. You guys want another test? I was surpri- I'm surprised. Okay, you're not in class right now, okay? You're at the LSC at Chi Alpha. But I do have some tests for you, okay? Here's the first one. The test of a hard heart. 
I tried to like re-parabolize these things, but I mean, they actually came from a parable, you know? But I know how we are. We listen better if it's not direct. I couldn't do it, okay? So I'm just going to go for it straight. But I'm going to pray before I do, okay? Lord, we've already prayed, but I, I just understand the significance of what we're talking about right now. And this is one of our last times together in this context this semester. And we don't want to pass up this moment. So Holy Spirit, I again just ask for your, your extra help here right now. That you would know us and that you would search us and we'd cooperate. And we'd hear what you're saying to us. Really hear it, Lord. I pray that we'd hear it. Amen. Okay, the test of having a hard heart. If you have a hard heart, you've heard, and there could be different applications of this, but you'll hear what I'm saying. This kind of hard hard heart, you've heard, but only with the intellect. In this case, you assimilate and maybe even learn the verbiage of Christianity, of Chi Alpha, but loving obedience doesn't match the mental assent that you've given. Can I say that one more time? You've heard, but only with intellect. In this case, you assimilate and maybe even learn like the words, the vocabulary of the community. But loving obedience doesn't match the mental assent you've given. Around here, what we say is knowledge equals responsibility. Can you say that back to me? Knowledge equals responsibility. If you are not responsible with the knowledge you've heard, your heart grows hard. It's like a law. It just works that way. If you take in knowledge and you don't apply it, your heart will grow hard. You can't escape it. Test number one, done. Number two, are you the shallow heart? You having fun yet? The shallow heart, you responded to the gospel with your emotions, but it's not gone beyond that. I understand all of these. I've experienced all of this. I've been a part of all this. You've responded to the gospel with your emotions, but it's not gone beyond that. In this case, we seek God's hand, but not his heart. We seek God's hand, but not his heart. God is our service provider, but not our king or our master. And if we're like this, we will wilt when the heat comes. Heat's coming over Thanksgiving break. Heat's coming over Christmas break. And you'll peace out on this, and your life will change that quickly if your response has just been emotions deep. Finally, I think this is the most important part of this category. The shallow heart views themselves as a sufferer in need of a solution, not a sinner in need of a savior. Those are not my words. Tim Keller gave me that. But may the Holy Spirit speak it to us. The shallow heart views themselves as a sufferer in need of a solution, not a sinner in need of a savior. Thirdly, are you the divided heart? If you're here, by that I mean if you have a divided heart, you might be finding it hard to bear fruit 
because you're still entangled with too much of the world. It would look like this, saying yes to Jesus, but simply failing to say no to other things. I'll land it. It's like saying yes to Jesus, but not saying no to your boyfriend. And you can flip the relationships around. Guys can do the same thing. Saying yes to Jesus, but not saying no to your girlfriend. Mark Renfro was with us last week, and it was amazing. He said this, that the, one of the greatest ways that we can be a witness on this campus is that we be both happy and holy. Happy and holy. You can only be happy and holy if you give Jesus every area of your life. If you withhold nothing from him. And that's what we call true repentance. It's everything for Jesus. All of life to Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus. What true true repentance does is it bows all that we are, mind that can be hardened, emotions, and will, all to Jesus. True repentance bows and submits all that we are, mind, emotions, and will to Jesus. True repentance brings forgiveness, which leads to loving, which leads to loving obedience to God. Okay. So we've taken the three tests. I'm not here to say whether you pass or fail. But the end result of actually having heard what Jesus is saying to us is loving obedience. By that I mean it's it's not an external conformity. You don't follow a model. You have a transformation that happens within. Because somebody has shown you your sin, and you've responded, and then you've been forgiven. And you feel his presence inside of you and his love for you, and you say yes to Jesus, and then you're compelled. And what is happening to you is so good, you don't want it to stop with you. You've got to share it. That's what loving obedience looks like. And it's the natural outflow of an internal transformation that happens when you say yes to Jesus. But I'm aware of this. You can hear what I'm saying tonight. You can especially hear stories like C.T. Studd and William Borden, and you're like, bro, I'm not those guys. (laughs) Neither am I. (laughs) They're like my heroes. They're amazing. They inspire me. Yeah, I don't know. They kind of feel like they're up here, right? Okay. Let me bring it down for you a little bit. Here's the rest of the story for C.T. Studd. If you're saying, I can't be that, well, C.T. Studd wasn't always a stud, okay? Here's the rest of the story from Claude Hickman, uh, a member of the traveling team, a missions organization. He gives this account. He went to college, and he got distracted. He had to face the death of his brother before he understood the words, the words of Isaac Watts that we began singing tonight. Oh, the wonderful cross that bids me come and die to find that I might truly live. Okay, so here's the, the fuller account, the rest of the story, okay? C.T. Studd was saved in 1878 at the age of 18 by the confrontation of a pastor who questioned him as to his personal relationship with Christ. Both his brothers gave their lives to Christ that same day that he did. 
His passion for Christ, however, diminished as his cricket career grew in college. Okay, he's more like us, right? And soon he was hardened to spiritual things. Does that comfort you a little bit? Maybe in the wrong way, but it's just like, yeah. I've been there. We've been there. We've seen our hearts grow cold. We've been enticed by things. We've followed things we shouldn't have. We've taken paths we shouldn't have, right? C.T. Studd did too. In November 1883, his younger brother George got very, very sick. He was also a very accomplished cricket player, a star as well. He got very sick and was dying. As C.T. watched in horror and grief at the suffering of his brother, he reflected, now, what is all the popularity of the world to George? What is all the fame and flattering? What is it worth to possess the riches of the world when a man comes to face eternity? These are the questions he asked himself. With a surprising turn, God miraculously healed George And C.T. was so dramatically changed through the event that he consecrated himself to the Lord's work. The things of this world became no longer worthy of his life. C.T. Studd would now begin to invest himself entirely in eternity. That's a story for us to hear and be inspired by. It's a story for us to hear and say, yeah, okay, I've been there. I've been distracted. But I'm coming to a place, and I think I can say that even tonight is a notable night where a lot of you are just giving generously. And I would say that at this point in the semester, a lot of you are a lot closer to Jesus than you were when you got here. Some of you, you're not even maybe believers yet. But if we put you on a scale, you'd be closer to Jesus than you were before, right? Okay, what I know from experience year after year is that we can sometimes think we're good soil when there's still some pretty significant issues. I'm not trying to dig or expose anybody. Largely, I'm speaking from my own experience. Sometimes we think we've arrived, or we have some achievements, some progress, And if you were to stop us at this point, we'd mark ourselves as good soil. But I've seen so many people come through here and be in your place and be good and leave and not be. And be here with us and be okay. And ultimately, we would have said at this point they were good soil. And ultimately, they were proven to not be good soil. In fact, quite shallow, quite hard, quite divided in their interests ultimately. So what I want to give us tonight is a chance to recognize who we are, that we're susceptible to having divided hearts, that we're prone to being shallow and being distracted. But give us a moment tonight to say, yes, Lord. And if, and if we're at a place where we, we've begun to let him in on, on parts of our life, can I push us tonight to let him in all the way, to let him have complete reign over our hearts. We've gone here before. This is called lordship, but we know this is where the battle is at. 
And if you guys are going to be good soil ultimately, what it takes is true repentance. That's all of life for Jesus. That's nothing held back. That's everything for him. And that's what he deserves. True repentance brings forgiveness, which leads to loving obedience. Can I pray over us right now? I'm not going to be hurried in this prayer. I'm not, I'm not praying us out, okay? You understand that? We're still responding. Lord, would you make us people that hear what you're saying? Don't let us be shallow soil. Lord, don't let us be people that only get you intellectually, but don't really have you in our hearts. Lord, don't let us be people that have divided interests. You don't deserve to share the throne with anything or anyone. You deserve the throne entirely, Lord. Would you help us in this moment, our last moment in in this setting together, in this place, would you help us to say yes to you entirely, Jesus? Lord, I pray over us where some of us are wanting to say yes to you, and yet we're resisting you. And we, we, we don't even want to, but it's just like we are practiced in resisting you. Would you break down those walls? Would you be so kind and so good to draw us to yourself right now? Would you finish what you've started this semester in our hearts? There's some things that you have begun that you want to finish before this semester is over. Would you take those steps tonight in our hearts that you need to? Yes, Lord. Amen. I feel like I need to say this. Worship band, could you go ahead and join me? Could you come back? And we're going to take some time to respond to this and pray. Uh, Some of you need to pray in such a way where it's just you and the Lord. Some of you need to gather together with a small group member and pray. But I feel like I need to say this before we do. I said earlier that for some, we consider ourselves sufferers in need of a solution. We are not that ultimately. Please understand, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you haven't suffered. Some of you guys have been through terrible things. It's hard to repeat what you've endured. It's hard to, to talk about it. I'm not making light of that at all. But there is not one of us that is supremely a sufferer in need of a solution. We are not ultimately victims. We are, and we must own this. And if you... I'm going to be straight on this. If you have a hard time hearing this and accepting it, it does mean you're not a believer yet. We are sinners in need of a Savior, not sufferers in need of a solution. 
We are sinners in need of a savior, not sufferers in need of a solution. You might find that offensive. A lot of people do. But we must face off with that. What we need is forgiveness, which will lead to loving obedience. But that begins with true repentance. Lord, again, would you help us in this? Holy Spirit, would you work and move among us? We're not just trying to wrap up and get out of here. We're inviting you to move among us. Would you land a statement in our hearts so that we know that you're a good, loving God that is challenging us tonight, but only that you can heal us and forgive us and compel us to love others like you have loved us. Amen.